Hi and welcome back to Gloucester Book Club's podcast and in tonight's book lounge I'm going to read you a short Christmas story and it comes from a collection of three short stories which are contained in a book by Kate Atkinson and it's called Festive Spirits and the story I'm going to read tonight is called Small Mercies. I hope you enjoy. The week before Christmas, a light sifting of snow on Gerald's lawn and an unaccustomed chill in his heart. Just you and me then, boy, he said to the dog. The dog stared soulfully at him because it was unusually about this time of night that Gerald brought out the mince pies. Gerald had never spent Christmas on his own. The day had always been passed mindlessly in the company of either his mother or his ex-girlfriend Anthea, and once, a memory still too awful to dwell on, with both of them together. Anthea, or that woman, as both his mother and the dog thought of her, was gone now, of course, married to an accountant and living unhappily ever afterwards in Surrey. Sometimes, Gerald wondered what would have happened if he and Anthea had lasted had stumbled all the way to the altar. Would he even now be surreptitiously filling stockings at the ends of small beds and drinking Santa's sherry while Anthea wrapped presents in front of a yuletide log burning in the hearth? And yes, Gerald did understand that this was a ridiculously utopian vision of Christmas. But some of it might have been true. The sherry, anyway. These imaginary children would have called him Dad, wouldn't they? No one had ever called him Dad, and he suspected no one ever would now. The thought made Gerald's spirits droop even further. The dog wagged its tail encouragingly. It sensed the mince pies slipping away. You'll be all right on your own for Christmas, won't you, Gerald? His mother had said rather indifferently and rather late in the day as she packed her suitcase. An unseasonable trove of suntan cream, beach towels, diarrhoea tablets and an extraordinary piece of industrial strength corsetry that Gerald could only presume was a swimming costume. His mother, who had previously considered a week's holiday in Eastbourne an extravagance, was off on a three-week cruise around the Med in the company of her giddy new cohorts. Several months ago, his mother had moved into a retirement complex. Gerald, previously unacquainted with such places, had feared it would be a dismal, God's waiting room kind of place, full of shuffling ancients zimmering their way through twilight years. If I ever get like that, his mother said crossly, then I hope you'll ask a vet to put me down. It was some time before Gerald could shake off a disturbing mental picture of sitting in the vet's waiting room with his mother in an oversized cat basket, awaiting a final fatal dose of Immobilon. Gerald wondered how he would feel when his mother shuffled off her mortal coil, hopefully in the antiseptic environment of a hospital rather than a veterinary surgery. He imagined her pain-free and comfortable exhibiting unusual acceptance 
Everyone has to go sometime, Gerald. Before passing peacefully with the beatific smile on her face, it seemed unlikely. His mother was not the beatific kind, and he doubted that she would arrive at the pearly gates without a list of complaints ready in her hand before she'd even seen what lay beyond. Thinking about his mother's death, Gerald was mildly ashamed that the only feeling it gave rise to was one of relief. Whereas if he allowed himself to imagine the dog's demise, a hot, hard stone of grief lodged itself beneath his breastbone. Gerald? Gerald, are you all right? His mother asked sharply. Gerald soon discovered that he could not have been more mistaken in his prejudices about the retirement complex. Never had he encountered such a busy bunch of people as his mother's neighbours. They swam and jogged and golfed. They played bridge and scrabble. They organised tea dances, investment clubs and reading groups. They held endless coffee mornings and afternoon teas and threw parties at the drop of a hat. The Grey Pound, his mother said mysteriously. Gerald thought it was a great shame that all this social whirling was restricted to people of pensionable age. It was exactly the kind of life that would have benefited middle-aged bachelors. Well, it won't be too long before you are old, Gerald, his mother said carelessly. Yes, but you will always be older, he thought, and chastised himself for his lack of charity. Our first port of call is Marseille, she said as nonchalantly as an old sea dog. I'll send you a postcard from there. You're not to worry about me. It would be nice, he thought, if for once she would worry about him. Anyway, she continued blithely, you can spend Christmas with your friend Colin. He hasn't got anyone now either. Thanks, Gerald said. On his way out, Gerald passed through the communal lounge, festooned with decorations and home to a huge, brightly lit Christmas tree. A lively poker game was in progress. Deal you in, Gerald? Someone offered. Gerald declined, indicating his wristwatch as if he could not afford the time for such pleasurable idleness. You wait until you're retired, one of the poker players laughed. You'll wonder how you ever had time to work. Hurrying out into the dark night, Gerald felt a sudden craving for a shoulder to lean on and made his way to the Lamond Flag, where, since his divorce, Colin had taken up residence in the Snug Bar. Colin and Gerald had known each other since primary school, a shared history which seemed to overcome the fact that they had nothing else in common. Here's to life's losers, Colin said cheerfully, raising his pint glass and toasting Gerald. Plus, he added, no trouble and strife to spoil the big day, Gerald. We'll be as free as birds. We can start drinking at breakfast, he continued enthusiastically, and carry on until we're unconscious. Christmas Eve Ho, 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 Gerald said mirthlessly, pouring himself a large malt whisky in the kitchen. He carried it along with a plate of mince pies through to the living room. The dog pattered after him. Living my best life, Gerald said sardonically to it as it jumped on the sofa next to him. The dog always sat on the left, Gerald on the right. 
Gerald also slept on the right-hand side of his bed and had woken on more than one occasion to find the dog lying next to him, its head on the pillow. When the dog was a puppy, Gerald had followed the advice to leave him to sleep in a basket down in the kitchen. But the tiny whimpering noises that had carried on throughout the night had been too much for him, and since then the dog had shared the bedroom with Gerald. Gerald drank the whiskey rather quickly like medicine and considered a second one. It was Christmas after all. The living room, free of any Christmas decorations apart from a half-hearted attempt on Gerald's part to display his rather meagre trawl of Christmas cards, looked cheerless. What's it all about? he asked the dog, ruffling its fur absent-mindedly. What's the point of it all? Redundant. Gerald continued gloomily. Surplus two requirements. That's me. On the day that Gerald's mother had sailed off into the sunshine, Gerald had turned up at work as usual. Nothing much on his mind, other than whether he might manage to manoeuvre Jill Stewart from sales and marketing under the mistletoe at the office party. And he had been called into Rodney Leyland's office. Rodney Leyland was Gerald's line manager, and it seemed painfully ironic that he was currently dressed as Santa Claus. Kids party, he explained, pulling off his beard. Ho, 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 Gerald said, entering into the festive spirit. Gerald, Rodney Leyland said gently, we need to have a chat. Downsizing, Gerald explained mournfully to the dog. They're calling it early retirement to make it sound better but frankly, that makes it worse. I've made not much over a half century and I've already been bowled out on the scrap heap. The dog listened with its head, cocked in a way that suggested sympathy, although actually its mind had wandered to the last uneaten mince pies. Gerald felt guilty. He did not normally indulge in fits of melancholy. There were so many people in the world, most people in fact, if he thought about it, who were worse off than himself that Gerald tried always to be grateful for what he had, to be thankful for the small mercies that life sent his way. And yet tonight, Gerald felt as if he had nothing. I mean, it's not the money. They've given me pretty good severance pay. It's just, no one wants me. The dog pushed its wet, cold nose into Gerald's hand and wagged its tail in an effort to prove the contrary. Of course, you need a walk, old boy. I'm sorry. Joel made an effort to rouse himself from the torpor he'd fallen into. Self-pity wasn't something he wanted to reveal to anyone, even the dog. Especially the dog. Gerald tossed the last mince pie whole into his mouth and the dog watched its trajectory with hopeless despair. Let's go, Gerald said. The dog trotted ahead, oblivious to the cold, Gerald followed at a somewhat less eager pace. Gerald's house was at the edge of the suburbs, on the border between town and country, a landscape which Gerald found rather uninspiring and which the dog found almost unbearably exciting. Their first stop, for they were both creatures of habit, was the river. Gerald, as usual, stayed on the bridge while the dog snuffled and truffled down on the bank. The cold snap had already transformed the water into a slurry of ice. Gerald leant on the parapet, lost in thought. 
Would it really make any difference, he wondered, if he slipped down into those chilly waters, never to resurface again? Had his life ever made a difference to anyone? The world would surely go on just the same if he had never been born. Such thoughts were new to Gerald and he was surprised and rather alarmed to discover how easily they came to him. An image came suddenly to Gerald's mind. An image of this very same river on a hot, still day nearly 40 years ago and Colin, as pale and podgy then as he was now, thrashing around helplessly in the middle of the river, calling in a desperate voice for Gerald to save him. If he'd stopped to think about it, Gerald, a poor swimmer, might not have dived in, might not have hauled the dead weight of Colin to the bank. But he didn't think. For once in his life, he simply jumped. Oh, you won, Gerald, was Colin's habitual toast in the lamb and flag, and he didn't mean around. The dog scrambled back up to the road and signalled it was ready to move on with a short bark. Gerald, proficient in dog language, left the bridge and set off obediently. The road took them past the local church and Gerald was puzzled for a moment at the sight of lights blazing and the sound of reedy voices reaching for the descant of O Come All Ye Faithful until he realised it was the midnight service, long since abandoned as a ritual by Gerald. In fact, Gerald had not been inside this church or any other since his brother's funeral. Gerald's brother David, a golden boy and his mother's clear favourite, had been killed in a car accident on the eve of his 21st birthday. Gerald had been about to embark on a degree in languages, a springboard he'd hoped to an exotic and interesting future. After his brother's death, however, his mother retreated into a profound depression and in an effort to comfort her, Gerald had elected to postpone university and take a temporary humdrum job with a local company. Eventually, his mother came to terms with her loss, but by then it seemed too late for Gerald's exotic and interesting future, and anyway, by then, humdrum had become a way of life for Gerald. These days, the occasional banquet for two at the Lucky Dragon was the nearest Gerald got to exotic. And when the person you were sharing with was Colin, that wasn't really the right word. Gerald wondered if his mother would have grieved so much for him as she had for David. He doubted it. People spilled out of the church, their happy voices ringing as cheerfully as bells on the cold air. The dog wagged its tail, ready to exchange seasonal greetings, but Gerald walked away briskly, calling on the dog to follow him. He didn't think he could handle all that Christmas cheer. David had been an attractive extrovert, drawing people into his orbit without having to make any effort. Gerald had lived in the long shadow he cast. At parties, David was the centre of attention, while Gerald was the one in the corner, talking to the bore no one else would listen to, or more likely the one clearing the dirty glasses and ministering to the person being sick in the bathroom. That was how he had met Anthea, dizzy with drink at some party that Gerald had attended reluctantly. He had helped her home in a very gentlemanly fashion and she had called him a lifesaver. 
Anthea had just come out of a bad relationship, drinking too much, partying too much, and Gerald had been a sobering influence in all ways. You're a rock, Gerald, she'd once said gratefully. You got me back on my feet. But it was a gratitude that soon dissipated. Once back on those feet, in three-inch Jimmy Choo heels, she walked off without a backward glance. You know, Gerald said as they turned a bend in the road and started heading for home, we're probably lucky that Anthea left. She wasn't exactly easy to please, was she? The dog stifled a growl and kept its own counsel. And now I'm free, Gerald frowned, pausing on the garden path to contemplate the novelty of this idea. There really was nothing to stop him having an interesting life if he chose. He had a sudden vision of himself and the dog striding through a countryside dusty with sun or drinking Chianti, Gerald, not the dog, against a golden backdrop of sunflowers or perhaps driving along avenues of cypresses in a neatly fitted out camper van. Free as a bird, Gerald murmured and laughed, much to the dog's surprise. A camper van, he said to the dog. The dog, to its credit, managed to look thoughtful and the open road, what do you think? The phone was ringing as Gerald turned the key in the lock and when he picked it up, his mother's not very maternal tones were wishing him Happy Christmas! She was vague about where she was. Italy, maybe? And sounded quite tipsy. There was the noise of shipboard merriment in the background and it was difficult to make out his mother's words, laced as they were with emotion and free alcohol. I can't hear you! Gerald said. He could hear her perfectly well, but he wanted the satisfaction of making his mother bellow the words down the phone. I love you, Gerald, she shouted so loudly that even the dog on the other side of the room heard her. They pantomimed astonishment at each other. Merry Christmas, Colin said, raising his glass. Christmas dinner was a banquet for two brought home from the Lucky Dragon accompanied by a bottle of champagne that had been lurking in the bottom of Gerald's fridge. Colin had contributed a couple of Christmas crackers left over from when he had a wife. I owe you one, Colin said, draining his glass and pouring another. You do, Gerald agreed cheerfully. He raised his own glass and made a toast. To small mercies, he said. Oh yeah, those two, Colin agreed, spooning sticky rice into his mouth. And the dog, in prime position on the hearthrug, where it was gnawing a particularly meaty Christmas bone, glanced at Gerald and thought, It's a wonderful life.